0: Matthew chapter 4. What I'd like to do this summer um, is talk about the parables of the kingdom. Uh, A lot is said around grace, as it should be, about the kingdom of God, because it is a pervasive reality throughout the Scripture. There is a thread of kingdomness, if you will, that runs through both Testaments. There is what one commentator called a regal thread that runs through the Bible. And a lot is said around grace about the kingdom of God, about the expansion of the kingdom of God. I was in a Grace Venture meeting this evening at about 6 o'clock from about 6 to 6.30, and they very kindly dismissed me so that um, I could come in here in a timely manner. And the very heartbeat of Grace Venture is about expansion, kingdom expansion. When Dr. Young first contacted me in um, November of 2004, Uh, I was arrested, uh, first of all, by his booming voice, Um, Jeff, Jimmy Young. Uh, But second, I was arrested by the fact of uh, uh, the ministry of Grace Venture, the reach that takes place through the ministries of Grace Venture. Dr. Young directed me to uh, your website, to our website now, I should say, and a series of sermons that inaugurated the beginnings of Grace Venture. One of those sermons is located in First Chronicles chapter 12 and the theme of Dr. Young's sermon was that we should be willing to risk all to be close to the heart of the king. At the end of listening to that sermon, I fired off a very brief email and I said, Jimmy, I am willing to risk to be near the heart of the king. This summer, I want us to look at the theme of the kingdom of God in the very words of Jesus, in the parables of Jesus. Now, there's a danger about the parables, as there's a danger about many of the narratives in the Gospels. And that is familiarity could breed contempt. Familiarity could blunt the force, the impact of our Lord's punchline in each one of these parables. But they are they are aimed as a stealth bomber underneath the radar of our religiosity to deliver a devastating blow to our spiritual complacency at the very points at which we're vulnerable. This summer, I hope it's the Lord's blessing that by His grace and for His glory, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we'll have a fresh appreciation for the King and His kingdom and come to realize that the kingdom of God spreads through the ministry of the gospel. It spreads like a seed. It spreads like and grows like a mustard tree. It is consummated at the return of the King, when He comes back in great power and regal glory. And every eye will see Him, every one of us will see Him, and behold Him in His awesome power. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is, He is King to the glory of God the Father. So may the Lord help us. As we began to look at the text of Scripture, I just want to introduce the thought, the theme this evening. I understand these lights are time to go off at about 10, and um, we'll be out of here shortly before that. You'll be relieved to know. Uh, I uh, am so computer challenged um, that I frequently throughout the week, I have to say, Brent, help. Uh, you know, once I'm past the, the print or, or past the type save print, uh, I'm completely dumbfounded. And yet, with the technology of virtual reality, there's some phenomenal things that are being done. I don't pretend to understand all about that. But when Melinda and I and our children were living in Florida, there's a very, um, a very prominent development that began to market uh, condominiums, high rise condominiums on the ocean. Prior to their even being built, the foundation hadn't even been poured and they were selling them through giving virtual reality tours. People were able to go in and see uh, and um, survey the kind of amenities that they would enjoy through this. We have several FedEx pilots here. And, um, and I understand there's a lot of training that goes on through virtual reality in which emergency situations are simulated and are very lifelike. There's even a hospital in New York City, the New York Presbyterian uh, Hospital, that teaches people to overcome phobias through virtual reality. If you're uncomfortable flying, as I often am, you're able to put on a virtual reality helmet and take off and land about 20 times in 30 minutes. You're able to endure the most turbulent storm safely in the comfortable confines of your easy chair in a doctor's office at New York Hospital. I'd love to fly like that, wouldn't you? I'd just love to put that helmet on and just fly around the world. In the kingdom of God and in the inaugura- inaugural ministry, the inaugurating ministry of Christ, you and I are given a virtual reality glimpse at what awaits those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to start in Matthew chapter 4. I'd like to start in verse 12. I'm going to read through verse 25. But I have to tell you, I'm not going to deal with this passage at length. We'll start that next week when we get into various passages concerning the parables. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, reading all the way through to verse 25. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, "...the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned." From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, "...repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee... Saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat, left the boat and their father, and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. There's a theme that's sounded over and over in this brief text, this brief passage of Scripture, and that theme is the kingdom of God. After 30 years of comparative silence, Jesus burst on the scene in Palestine in that first century like a meteor. He illuminated the hillsides and the valleys with the light of the gospel and with the announcement of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Those who were seated in darkness, those who were seated in the shadow of death, both spiritual and physical. Those whose lives were fractured and marred by all kinds of sin and depravity began to see and hear the light and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And they began to hear a marvelous pronouncement. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. After 30 years of silence. Jesus comes, and at the Jordan River, in Matthew chapter 3, He's baptized by John the Baptist. And you're familiar with the story, after the baptism, the, uh, a dove descends upon Jesus, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, literally descending and clothing our Lord Jesus Christ, and His baptism is punctuated by a divine benediction from heaven. God the Father says, "...this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." Immediately, Jesus, at the opening verses of Matthew chapter 4, is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he confronts in a very dramatic fashion Satan, the adversary, or some uh, parallel accounts of this, like in Luke 8, and uh, Mark will refer to him as the devil, the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is led by the power of the Holy Spirit out of the wilderness, And he begins to proclaim the message of the kingdom, a message of forgiveness, a message of hope, a message of liberation, a message of favor with God through the means that Jesus would provide. And then what about these miracles? Unbelievable miracles. Blind eyes are opened. Those whose tongues had never framed or formed a syllable are loose to utter praises to God. Those whose lives are bent beneath a great load of sin and degradation. Those whose lives are marred by all kinds of demonic bondage are set free by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator says that it is highly likely that in one day Jesus performed more miracles than were performed in the entirety of Old Testament history. But what about the message and what about the miracles? They were divine calling cards. They were the signs that this is God's anointed one. This is Israel's Messiah. And he's come at the command of God the Father to fulfill the promise of God to his people in every age and every generation. Now, the text that we read this evening said that there were great multitudes. A lot of people began to follow Jesus. Wherever he went, crowds flocked him. Crowds hung upon his Words they marveled at the manifestation of incredible displays of divine power. It would have been easy for Jesus to have ridden the crest of rising popularity. It would have been easy for Jesus to have issued an invitation for everyone to jump on the bandwagon, uh, this great cause that He had come to start. But Jesus did no such thing. In fact, it's in this context, guys, that that you find the sermon on the mount you find the beatitudes you ever i really started to spend the summer in the beatitudes because because i think they're so pregnant with meaning and because it is the summer and we're going to be traveling and coming and going in every beatitude almost even though it's linked to the one before it and the one after every beatitude almost stands on its own you know you can go in almost any business today and find a mission statement you can go in almost any business today find a purpose find a list of values, of things that drive the enterprise. And here comes the king announcing the good news of the kingdom, and he shares the values of this kingdom. And you know what the first value that Jesus announces on this Galilee hillside is? It's the value of spiritual poverty. It's the value of knowing ourselves, of discovering ourselves, that we are utterly bankrupt before God, that we're unable to save ourselves, we're unable to help ourselves, we don't have the resources to get ourselves together, to heal our brokenness, to heal our fracturedness, to cover and atone for our sin. We're bankrupt before the Lord. That's quite a message, isn't it? Right out of the gate. Hey, come to me. Know yourselves to be spiritually poor. Mourn over your sins. Humble yourselves and become meek. And here's the promise. You'll inherit the earth The message of Jesus in the kingdom of God. The manifestation of the power of God in the kingdom of God. I would submit to you tonight is really virtual reality. Jesus is drawing the curtain back and showing us the promise of the life to come. And the manifestation of these miracles. Uh, Laura sharing her story this evening is a reminder that there is a coming day in which there will be no sickness. There is a coming day in which there will be no sorrow. There's a coming day in which there will be no separation, that the curse will be eliminated or removed. And as the prophets say, the lion will lay down with the lamb, and a little child will lead them. And those implements of war will be beaten into farming implements, and there will be one king ruling and reigning in awesome power. And I believe in the heart of every child of God, there is a longing for that day to come to come soon, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you have teenagers, you're really saying, "Come quickly, Lord Jesus." How many of you have teenagers? Let's see those hands. Amen. Right? Even so, Lord, come quickly. All right. Let's. Uh, what I'd like to do is take just a few minutes and kind of set the context and the and the uh, the surrounding context for each one of these uh, parables. Jesus begins with the good news of the kingdom of God. It's the grand theme of His miracles, His ministry, His message. It is, as I had said earlier, the the regal or royal thread that runs through the whole of Scripture. There are over 100 references to the kingdom of God in the Bible. Uh, are, Are you glad we're not looking all those up tonight, by the way? Can I summarize all those numerous verses, all those scores of passages, where the kingdom of God is uh, referred to either directly or by implication in three words. This is the three-word summation of the kingdom of God. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And beloved, there's not a single molecule in this universe over which Jehovah does not reign. There's not a single circumstance, a single incident in our lives. Some we're unable to really come to grips with or explain satisfactorily. But there's not a single thing in our lives this evening over which God does not reign supreme as Lord and King and Sovereign and Master. On the one hand, that's a glorious truth if things are going well. But it's a tough truth when things are not going well. But can I tell you this, that the only alternative to God reigning supreme over all things is in a universe where you and I are left to the blind forces of fate and chance and who knows what's going to happen from day to day. God holds us firmly and securely in the palm of His hand. And that's one of the great themes that's going to emerge as we look at the parables this summer through the words and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that there's one Lord and one divine kingdom. Although the Bible will address this kingdom in many different ways. L- let me just uh, try to bring some conciseness and cohesiveness to this rambling discourse if I could. And I'd like to do that through making three, three main points. Um, when you look in the Bible at the kingdom of God and you see this phrase over and over One thing that we could keep in mind is that there is one universal eternal kingdom over which God is Lord and King. There's only one. There are not many. There's only one. And you can find this theme in both Testaments. Let me give you an example, if I could, of what I'm talking about. We are involved in a conflict right now in an area called what? Iraq. Do you know what the biblical name for Iraq is? You'll find the the name in the scripture. You'll find it. Where was Daniel held captive for over 60 years? Babylon. Babylon. Do you know that a once mighty Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar came out and surveyed all of his earthly pomp and glory? In Daniel chapter 4, and he says, Look at what my hand has built. And God judged him for his pride. At the end of seven seasons, seven years of insanity, Nebuchadnezzar's eyes were opened, his his reason returned, and this is what he said in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. I'll paraphrase it. There's only one king. There's only one Lord. And his dominion is is forever and ever. His dominion, his kingship, his lordship is everlasting and everlasting. You know, in various biblical ways, through various writers of Scripture, that theme is repeated over and over and over. David praises God in the great psalm of praise in Psalm 145. About verse 13, he says, Oh God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion is an everlasting dominion. David is not going to build the temple, but he's going to gather all the materials to build the temple, and he's going to hand the blueprint over to his son Solomon. And when they've got all the materials, and David's going to hand the baton to Solomon. First Chronicles 29, David lifts his hands and his voice to heaven, and he blesses God, and he says, Blessed are you, O Lord, for your dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. Your kingdom is the one that will never end. Over in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy refers to God as the King immortal, and eternal, invisible. The only wise God. So you'll find this theme throughout both Testaments. There's only one kingdom. There's only one divine Lord. And His kingship, His rulership, His lordship and sovereignty is eternal and it is universal. Um, Even on the Isle of of Patmos, uh, John there um, incarcerated on this, this island because of the testimony of Jesus Christ four times hears the, the echoes, the refrains of heaven saying, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. I hope this evening that that will be a measure of comfort in your heart, that God reigns, that God is sovereign, that He's seated upon a throne that will never be toppled. It will never be successfully challenged. His authority will never be usurped. He's actively, sovereignly, powerfully, wisely, eternally, and unchangeably in control Of every atom in the universe. One commentator said. His kingdom was not gained. Therefore it cannot be lost. It never had a beginning. It will never come to an end. No wonder nothing. Can escape from the all embracing impact. Of God's kingdom and God's kingship. Let me give you a second truth. That emerges from the Bible. And that is there is an undoubted king. Um, I did not stay up and watch the royal wedding. Um, the first royal wedding between uh, Charles and Dinah. I didn't watch the second one either. I'm not going to ask if you did. Um, I see from your smiles that I'm tempted to ask that, but but I, I won't ask that question. You know, I guess the closest thing we have to, to um, pomp and ceremony would be the burial of a president when he lies in state and uh, the unmounted horse is paraded through the streets of Washington. Perhaps an inauguration might come close to that. But when an announcement is given in England that there's going to be a coronation, one of the things that is said is uh, there's a reference made to an undoubted king. Beloved, we have an undoubted king. And his name is Jesus. And he's the friend of sinners. And he receives those who come to him in faith and repentance. And He inaugurates a rule and a reign in their life by His grace. He rules us, not with an iron scepter. He's not a harsh master. In fact, I would be so bold to say this, that Jesus is the only master that you and I can serve in whose service we find freedom. He's the only master in whose service we find fulfillment, contentment, and joy. This eternal and everlasting kingdom throughout the Bible, the Old Testament prophecies, points forward to one who would come and inaugurate this kingdom on earth. You're familiar with the fall, undoubtedly. Genesis 3.15, God becomes the first preacher of the gospel. And uh, you know, when when a minister takes his watch off, it means virtually nothing. Um, I understand I have 30 minutes, but you know when you don't know what time you start, you don't know when 30 minutes is up. Um, But um, God becomes the first preacher of the gospel into the Garden of Eden in the midst of fallen humanity and sin and misery abounding and fellowship broken and destroyed and the darkness of the curse descending upon His glorious creation. God comes in, pronounces judgment on the serpent and pronounces the promise of the gospel hope in a coming Redeemer in Genesis 3.15. Isaiah 7.14 says this coming Redeemer, this coming King, would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 9 says that of the increase of this King, there would be no end of the increase of His government. Isaiah 11 says that the fullness of the Holy Spirit would rest upon Him. The Spirit of counsel and might and wisdom. The spirit of holiness would rest upon this king. And Micah chapter 5 says this coming king is going to be born in Bethlehem. The place of rearing sheep for sacrifice in Jerusalem. The house of bread where the living bread would come and live among us. And suffer and die and rise again. When the spirit of God descends upon Jesus in Matthew chapter Three and he confronts Satan in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, and he comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom. People were longing for an earthly king, someone who would come and free them from their temporal and earthly bondage. And they were bitterly disappointed over the course of Jesus' ministry. But I say to you tonight on the basis of Scripture that this Spirit anointed, Spirit-filled, spirit, filled, spirit empowered ruler designate designate, who suffered and died, who rose again triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, who ascended and is enthroned at God's right hand, rules and reigns this evening by His Word and by His Spirit. And as the gospel is proclaimed around the world, the reign of our Christ drives out the darkness. A number of years ago at the church, Melinda and I, Uh, we're at for a number of years in Florida. We had an Indian man from India um, who came, and uh, he was actually in a very impoverished, backward province where the gospel came through a very unlikely source. And as uh, people began to embrace the the gospel, they were um, cannibalistic, they were savages, they were idolaters, they were pagans, they were illiterate. And as the gospel began to take root in hearts and lives and families, it began to bear the fruit of radical transformation. The gospel came and changed not only individual hearts, but it changed families. And these changed families led to a changed community. It led to a transformed society. King Jesus this evening is expanding His reign through people like you. Through people wherever Jesus is confessed as Lord wherever the gospel is proclaimed and the power of the Holy Spirit and people are brought from death to life where they're brought from being spiritually blind to having eyes to see where they're given a new heart to embrace with all of their heart this king, this kingdom expands and is enlarged. After 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, the silence is punctuated when in Angel comes by the name of Gabriel and he announces to Zacharias and Elizabeth that they would give birth to John, the messenger of the king. When he then goes to marry a little peasant girl and says that she, by the Holy Spirit, is going to conceive and carry the king. Those Old Testament prophecies begin to be fulfilled. And finally, after 30 years, in Matthew chapter 4, This king says, in essence, if you'll permit me this license, the kingdom of heaven is near because the king is here. And through the message of the parables, the Lord helping us this summer, we're going to be able to have a virtual tour of the realities of the kingdom of God through the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with just a couple of final thoughts, if I may. What is this kingdom? Well, when Jesus came, He established what one commentator, Don Carson, uh, described as a subset of this universal reign or this universal kingdom of God. Uh, God had promised to set up His kingdom on earth through a chosen king, and this kingdom came through Jesus. It is a worldwide relational reality wherever the lordship of Christ is acknowledged through faith and repentance. It is a present reality that is growing as the gospel spreads and as more and more people are brought under the righteous rule and reign of the Lord Jesus. It is a present reality, but the future fulfillment of it um, takes our breath away. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 said, Eyes not seen and ear is not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Some of you are in Dr. and Mrs. Young's grace group, and you're going through Pilgrim's Progress. And there's a character in there, and I've quoted this before, and I know I have. I'm at the age where I repeat myself often. Um, and it's, it's, honey, it's probably only going to get worse. Um, and I know I've said this. I've said it in several contexts. I just don't know if I've said it in this one. But um, there's a character in Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Steadfast. And he's got one foot in the Jordan and he's looking ahead. And he said, All that awaits me lies in my heart like a burning coal. The kingdom of God's a present reality, but it awaits a glorious fulfillment that you and I can scarcely imagine, in which there will be a reconstructed universe, in which, if I understand 1 Corinthians 15 correctly, Jesus is ruling and reigning even now because He says all power is given unto Me. All authority is given unto Me in heaven and earth. And God the Father through the Mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, is bringing all of creation and all of human history to this climatic consummation when the King comes back in power and we behold Him. And He subdues all of our sinfulness And he subdues all of the curse. And then if I understand 1 Corinthians 15 correctly, listen to this. He then takes this kingdom that has been consummated by his return. And he says to God the Father, Father, the kingdom is yours. And these are yours. And we will be a part of that multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation. Singing, salvation belongs unto the Lamb and to the Lord who reigns forever and ever. May these parables come with fresh power, fresh pungency, fresh application to us as we consider the message of the kingdom, how the kingdom spreads, how the kingdom will grow, and what is to be characteristic of those who are citizens of this kingdom, not by heredity, but by supernatural birth, effected only by the Holy Spirit Himself. May God be honored and glorified by it all this summer on these Wednesday nights. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank You that by Your grace alone and by um, just an incredible goodness that honestly surpasses our ability to grasp all of it and to understand it. You have, by your Holy Spirit, brought us into this salvific kingdom. And you have given us a new heart to embrace gladly and to bend the knee joyfully and to confess freely that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the King, the Master of our lives. And you've said that of this kingdom there would be no increase, there would be no diminishment rather, that, um, that it would spread, that it would thrive, that it would flourish, that it would prosper. And you've been pleased to make it so through fallen and flawed people who are simple messengers of this glorious gospel of the kingdom. Holy Spirit of the living God, may you as we sing on Sundays on occasion fall fresh upon us this summer, may you open the eyes of our understanding, illuminate our hearts and our minds. This grand and glorious truth, that your redemptive purposes will be fulfilled and consummated through this kingdom, whose king reigns forever and ever. To your glory, we long, and for your glory, we pray and ask. In Christ's name, our Lord and our King, and everyone said, "Amen."